Our pastor's away this morning, and we've already mentioned the reason why, and that is that he's he understands uh, both from what Scripture teaches and from his own experience the frailty of the flesh and the fact that we all need time off to be refreshed. And as our brother Eric Apley said, we've always been the better for it when he's been able to take the time. Amen. And so we want to be much in prayer for that, and I know we have been this week. But coming in, as this is one of the first meetings we've had at the beginning of the year, our brother wanted to make sure that we had the right emphasis. So this day, as Brother Eric has already mentioned, and as those of you who got the um, reminder yesterday of what we're going to be doing today, prayer is the emphasis that we want to have in our congregation, not just for today, but for this year, and Lord willing, for the rest of our lives. You know, prayer... If you think about it, what is prayer? Prayer is God Almighty, the blessed and only potentate, the wise creator of the universe, opening up his door, inviting us in into his presence, and saying, what do you need in your life? What is not right in your life that I can look into on your behalf? That's prayer, brethren. This morning, we're going to go over some passages of Scripture. We're going to go over some illustrations from Scripture, some examples. But there's not one thing, I pray, that is new to anyone in this congregation who's been here any time. But I want to do more than remind you, brethren, as we go through what we do in Scripture this day, I want your soul to be gripped by it. Brethren, this is the most important thing we can do. Should we study and read our Bibles? Amen. We ought to do that every day. It's the scriptures that tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? There's a whole host of beings that are out there, some possibly in this room right now, who can quote the Bible backwards and forwards to us and explain many points of doctrine far better than you and I could ever know. That's the devil and his followers. They can do that. What good does it do them? Not a bit. But when you go to prayer, if you're one of God's children, and when you hit your knees and lift up your heart and your hands to the Lord, He hears you. He sees you. And as I said, if you know who you're praying to, that He is all wise, He's all-powerful, and he loves and has tender mercies for you. What's the limitation as to what what can't be done under those circumstances, brother? Turn, if you would, opening up to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. I'll be going over today four things, but you've already heard my goal, right? For us to be gripped, us to be convicted that we need to pray. And if you've been a praying person, great. Amen. I want you to be convicted you can do more. That you don't do enough praying. I'm that way. I'm very convicted about it. And I've been convicted about this subject for a long time. But I don't pray enough, brethren. None of us do. Four things I want us to look at today. The need for effective prayer. Examples. Of effectual prayer. 
promises God's give us, and then the objects of effective prayer. And then tonight, the young men are going to stand before us and give us the ten ways by which we can make sure that our prayers are effectual and effective before God. Okay, let's jump on in. James, chapter 5, and verse 16. In the midst of all his exhortations that James is giving us here, he tells us, Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that ye may be healed. And then the Holy Spirit tags us on for our benefit. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Brethren, let that grip your soul. Many of us sit there on a weekly basis and look at our pastor, at the wisdom God gives him, the understanding, the energy, and the drive to help other people, whether it be ourselves or others across the world. And we say, you know, God didn't make me like that. I'm not that kind of person. Boy, isn't it wonderful what God can do with somebody. And we're right to say that. God has gifted only a few men to do special things like that. You might read in Scripture, look at an Apostle Paul, a Peter, and look at the marvelous works that they did. And say, you know, I'm not Peter. I'm not Paul at all. i got to have a wife. He could go without one. Boy, I don't know if I could stand one little insult, much less being constantly in threat of my life, being beaten. But you know something, brethren? God has given us something where we can have a great impact in this world. And it's through prayer. Prayer. Every single member of this congregation, everyone under the hearing of my voice right now, you are important. I don't care if we're talking about Anthony over here or Brother Rolland over there. Someone who may think he's too young and small and ineffectual to have any impact on things. Or someone who's thinking, you know, I'm at the tail end of my life. The strength that I once enjoyed, the capabilities I once had, they're no longer here. And I'm soon facing going to be with the Lord. Brethren, both of those individuals and all of us in between have a capability of being mighty and powerful if we will take advantage of it. Each and every one of us has the same ability to go before the Lord. You know, I can't control your life. I can't live your life for you. Brother Jonathan can't live our lives for us. But that's kind of nice, isn't it? We've only got one responsibility for one life, and that's my own. And all you have to do is be a righteous man or a righteous woman. And you fall right into this verse. You know, if we look in Scripture, back in Genesis chapter 4, you don't need to turn there. And the the outline will be available very shortly for anybody who wants to see it. All the verses I'm going to cover today. And the ones I won't, but I'll refer to. You know, the sons of God, meaning righteous men, began to call upon the Lord in the days of Enos. 
who was the son of which son of Moses? I mean, son of Adam. See, I want your participation today, brethren. We're a knowledgeable congregation. We should know some things. Seth, Seth's son. At that time, it tells us in Genesis 4, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So this has been around for a long time, brethren. This is nothing new. If you go to Revelation chapter 5, where it talks about, in metaphorical spiritual terms, being in the presence of God in heaven, it talks about the prayers of the saints are like sweet incense coming up before God. Something that he enjoys. Something that is, you know, he smells and a smile comes to his lips. This is something God enjoys. God is pleased with. You know, effectual prayer goes directly into God's presence. Talks over in Second Chronicles chapter 30 about the priest as they came. They had purged themselves. They were coming to the, to the Lord of the universe in prayer and how their prayers ascended up into God's presence. And brethren, as I go over these things, think about yourself. Your prayers can go into the very presence of God. Would you think it important if... George Bush sent you a letter and said, you know, Newell, you're one of my friends. Anytime you need me, here's a phone number to call. It will go straight to my office. Wherever I am in the world, it will get routed to me. So if you've got an issue that needs dealing with, just dial this number. And I'm on the other end for you. Wow. The President of the United States gives me his personal number. Brethren, we've got so much better than that. We've got the God of the universe who says, call upon me and I will hear you. You know, effectual prayer has a great influence on the health, wisdom, prosperity, safety of ourselves, our children, our church, our nation. Remember over in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1. The Lord talks about two men who he would spare a nation for because of their righteousness. Moses and Samuel. Over in Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 14, he gives us three others. Noah, Daniel, Job. That's five men that by their prayers could intercede on the behalf, not just of themselves, but of whole groups of people. God would hear it. God would answer God would deliver people because of one man and his prayer. Think about Moses for a second. How many times did Moses save the nation of Israel? How many times was God ready to wipe them out? And Moses stands in the gap. Look over at Exodus 32. I want to be quick. I don't want to cover too much, but it tells me in Scripture, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So let's turn to God's word and let's get some encouragement from it. Exodus chapter 32. And we want to start at verse 27. Excuse me, Exodus 32, verse 7 is where I want to start. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou brought, broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them, them a gold, molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Wow. Here's Moses up there getting the Ten Commandments off the mountain. And what have they done while he's gone? They've made a molten calf and they started worshiping it and having some sort of adulterous party. God says, well, Moses, get down, take care of it, look with it. Oh, no, don't, don't worry about it, Moses. You just stay right there. I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to take you and make a great nation of you. Now, that's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. What would you be your tendency? I mean, yeah, you might say, hey, Lord, Lord, that's a pretty good idea. Let's go ahead and wipe them out and make them a nation of me. But not Moses, not the meekest man in the world. What did he say? That meek man. And Moses besought the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of, out of the hand of Egypt? with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. The prayer of Moses held God back. Now, did God judge those wicked men for what they did? Oh, yes, he did. But God showed mercy because... Moses interceded on their behalf. And we can go through numerous events to see this happen. Yes. How about Samuel? Samuel. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. Those of you who know the song, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. In the middle of that song, it talks about a strange-sounding word, Ebenezer. Ebenezer. This is where Ebenezer comes from. 1 Samuel, chapter 7, starting at verse 7. Background is, Israel has been captive, has been basically under the thumb of the Philistines. Samuel is the prophet of the, of the people. And he's seen that it's the right time. The people's heart is to turn to the Lord. They want to serve the Lord. They, don't, they want to put away their idols. They come to him to say we want to serve the Lord. So he gathers them together to exhort them to do what's right, to follow what God has, has instructed the nation to do. And while they've done that, verse 7, And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpeh, 
the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. Notice, the people already knew the reputation Samuel had of being a man of prayer and of being close with the Lord. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord his God, and the Lord heard him. And Samuel, and as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomforted them, and they were smitten before Israel. Think about it, brethren. Here they've come up. Ah, we've got the Israelites by surprise. We can get them now. The Lord thunders a great thunder. And it does two interesting things. One, it puts these Philistines in terror. Two, it encourages the Israelites. And the men of Israel, verse 11, went out of Mizpeh and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came unto under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpeh and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. All by prayer. All by prayer, brethren. Samuel. Noah. What's the testimony of God in the days of Noah? That the wickedness of man had reached up to heaven. That he was, you know, there was nothing in the thoughts of men but evil continually. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And our brother Jonathan has pointed out many times, you don't hear anything about Mrs. Noah. You don't hear anything about his sons. But God saved all of them and the sons' wives for the sake of Noah, one man. He destroyed the rest of the world, and one man and his family were perfectly preserved and actually were the progenitors of the second chance for mankind. How about Daniel? Daniel, a man beloved of the Lord. Over in Daniel chapter 9, he starts off by talking about he was, he had read the scriptures and wanted to understand them properly. So he put himself to fasting and to praying and to thinking about the scriptures and fasting and praying and supplications. And it goes through a lengthy period there showing the beautiful prayer he offers up to God. And what does he get for his response? Brother, do you ever want wisdom or understanding from Scripture? Hey, Daniel wanted it and Gabriel was sent to him. The messenger angel Gabriel came to him and gave him revelation about what was going to happen to the nation. And of course, our brother Job You remember his circumstances? At the end, he said a few bad words, by the way. He did a few silly things in his conversation. He was egged on, right, by a bunch of miserable friends who didn't counsel him appropriately. But when it came down to it, after God revealed himself, first of all through the words of Elihu, and then personally before Job, at the end of it, Job was back in his right mind, 
And God turned to those three miserable counselors. And what did he say to them? He said, you haven't said the thing that's right like my servant Job here. You want to get accepted before me? You bring me your offerings and ask Job to pray for you. And I'll hear you again. And I'll look favorably upon you. And it's very interesting too, brethren. A little side rabbit, I won't run, but just for one second. If you go and look at that passage, it says that when Job prayed for his three friends, that was the point when he was delivered. And all of a sudden, all his relatives came in to commiserate with him. And they gave him things to make up so that he was twice as wealthy as before. And God gave him more children to replace the ones that were gone. After he prayed for his friends, God delivered him. Over in Job chapter 42. Brethren, these are great men. Can you see how they affected whole peoples? Families, nations, the world itself were affected by these men in their prayer. But we're still talking about the need for effectual prayer. Are our prayers effectual? Can we compare ourselves to any of these five men I've just listed? You know, energy and desire isn't enough. I see a group of men who are the most devoted, most zealous worshipers of their God I know of in the Old Testament that didn't hear one thing from heaven. The worshipers of Baal. You say, they're worshiping a false god. Yeah, but I don't see too many of us going through such pains as cutting ourselves so God will hear us. I mean, you're not a, an insincere man doesn't do that. An insincere man maybe has somebody else cut himself, but he doesn't cut him himself. Right? These guys were sincere, but their sincerity meant zero. Because it's the wrong God they were going to. You know, you've got to ask to receive. I mean, many times we may have things we have in our mind that would be good to have, but do we actually go to God and ask for them? Or do we let something stand in the way? Oh, that's an inconsequential response. God doesn't want to hear that. Well, you're right. If you don't want to bring it to him, he won't hear it. (laughs) Real simple. Or how many times do we sit back and think, well, uh, that's kind of wild and that's kind of big. and If we be truthful, I don't think God really wants to do that. Whether because he doesn't want to bless me, or whether because we don't think he can do that thing, we hold it back because we don't ask for what we need. Or we ask for things that are only for our own lust to consume it. James tells us about this, doesn't he, in James 4? Oh yeah, I've got a big request. And it's for me. Remember Moses' prayer. I love that prayer I read to you just a few minutes ago. Whose glory was Moses seeking in that prayer? The Lord's prayer. Lord, the Egyptians are going to say bad things about you. That you couldn't take care of this people. You brought them out to do this. After all, Lord, you told Abraham you would bless his descendants. And you told Isaac Moses was out to defend the Lord in his prayer request. How do we pray? Are we praying for the furtherance of God's kingdom and things that will bless His holy name? As our brother said this morning, by way of thanksgivings that we'll give back to Him? Or are we praying because we want more toys? 
Special prayer has to be taught, brethren. I said I'm not going to tell you anything that you haven't heard before, but we need to be reminded of it. We need to be taught how to pray. Oh, oh wait, I, I hear a voice out there. I hear somebody that says, oh, no, <laughs> we already know this. No, we don't need to be taught about this again. Well, you know what? The apostles weren't too proud. They'd been around Christ for a number of months. And they saw him going off to a mountain to pray by himself alone. And he came back and they said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Are you better than an apostle? You think you're better off than they are? Effectual prayer. Let's look at our verse. Think about the words the Lord uses in this verse. What are we doing? We're praying. Prayer is a solemn and humble request to God. See, just sitting there and chit-chatting, that's not necessarily prayer. Prayer is when you're coming to God with a need. And you're humbly offering it up to Him. Again, think about that prayer of Moses. Here's Moses. Moses speaking face to face with God, but he didn't presume. He wasn't presumptuous in his prayer. He came humbly before God. All the great prayers you'll see in Scripture have that characteristic. Yes, they can, you can come boldly before the Lord. But you come before him boldly. It's not because you are so great. It's because he's so great and he's told you to come into his presence. Prayer, that's the activity we're going after. The effectual. See, we're talking about effectual. That which produces its intended effect. Effective. We want effective prayers. We don't want just a list of things that we've asked for. We want a list of things we can go back, as we pointed out today, and say, God heard that one and he answered it. And here's how he did it. Oh, and he heard that one. He saw us ask for this and he provided for it. We want things that have effect, that don't just bounce off the ceiling. Have you ever done that before, by the way? Have you ever prayed and felt like it didn't go any higher than that ceiling? See, we want it to go all the way into that throne room presence of God himself. Amen. Fervent. It's the effectual fervent prayer of persons or actions. Ardent. Intensely earnest. God is interested in things that you are seriously interested in. I mean, if it's a, I really could care less whether that happens or not. (laughs) Why should God be concerned about it? If you're not interested in it, if you don't have your, if that's not, your heart's not in it, why should his? Why should he waste his time with something that you really don't care about? So we've got to be involved in it. We've got to be sincerely desirous of it. And who's the actor involved in this? I've already mentioned some of this. It's the righteous man. Righteous meaning just, upright, virtuous, acting rightly or justly. And brethren, when you hear de- when you hear definitions read, I hope you do more than say, "Okay, I need to remember that," you know, because I'm going to be t- quizzed on that next time I talk to somebody. I hope you apply it to yourself. That's why I read it slowly. Just, am I a just individual? Am I known as somebody who does what's right? And not just out there in the world, though. That's a good judge. That's a good judge, because you know we like to fudge it ourselves, don't we? 
We can always come up with the reasons and excuses why we didn't do something right. Other people aren't going to be so charitable. So if they think you're just, well, that's a pretty good indication. And again, if it's the right people thinking that. But are we just? Are we upright? Are we virtuous? Doing those things that are appropriate and good. Do we act rightly, justly? That's the kind of person who God's going to hear their prayer. An upright man or woman who is earnestly, as our brother said, pushing. They want, we want an answer that's effective in our prayers to God. That's what we want to have. It's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. Application of this first point. What kind of man or woman am I? Am I the kind of person that God he wants to hear my prayers? I, do I qualify for him to hear them? Am I a righteous person? Am I a praying person? Do I even engage in the activity when I need to? Do my prayers get heard? Are they effective? And do I want to improve to get better? I mean, brethren, we need to ask that question. Do I want to improve to get better? Until you do, it ain't going to happen. I'm here to tell you. You know, what's that old saying? You know, he that aims at nothing hits it. Brethren, we've got to make this a goal in our life. We've got to have a target out there that says, I want to be a more effective prayer. It's not enough to come in here and hear all these things and say, that's good. Somebody needs to pray better. I need to pray better. I need to be on my knees more. In my prayer closet more. I need to take more seasons of where I'm approaching the Lord. With a pure heart and mind. Seriously asking things that need to be done for his glory and honor and our betterment. Do I want to improve and learn to be better at praying? Okay, let's move forward. Examples. God gives us many examples of effectual prayer so that we can be encouraged by those results. I mean, brethren, isn't that... Why, why are novels? Why are stories? Why are biographies? Things like that. Why, are they all, why have they been popular throughout the history of mankind? We like to look and see what happens, right, in other people's lives. We identify with that and hope that the same things that happen good to this person can happen to us. When we see a case of somebody who has sorrow in their life and they were comforted, hey, there's a possibility I can have that. In the scriptures especially, that's what God gives us. He gives us the accounts of men and women who live lives just like we have. Oh, yeah, they may not have had cars. They may not have had cell phones. But they had children. They had jobs. They had concerns in their lives. They had health problems. They had failing memories. They had opposition and persecution to trying to do what's right. And by looking at them and seeing how God helped them, he's the same God today. He's the same God we're going to call upon. And when we get to the next point after that of the promises... He offered them promises that he offers to us as well. So look at these things. And what I want to do 
I'm going to just ask you some questions. Okay? Hey, this is an intelligent con- congregation. We know the Bible. At least we should. Okay? So you help me out now. Let's help each other out. Let's think about these things. Okay? Women. How would you like to be a slave? I know many of you may feel that way towards the man you're married. Okay? But I mean a real slave. One who has absolutely no choice. You know, you give a frown and say, I really don't want to do that, honey. And you get a rod across your back because he ain't your honey. He's your master. Okay? How would you like to be a slave? Put yourself in that for a second. I know that's impossible for a modern day human being to do in America. Because we don't know what slavery is. But women, try. Put yourself in that mindset. You're a slave. Okay? You become pregnant by your master. And you've been thrown into the household. That's pretty bad, isn't it? That's pretty bad to be a pregnant, outcast slave. And you go to the God in prayer, and he hears you. And he delivers you. Amen. He brings you back into the household that you were thrown out of. But he brings you back with the knowledge that your son is going to be great one day. He's going to be the leader of a kingdom. He's going to have princes flowing out of him. Can somebody help me? Who am I talking about? Hagar. Hagar. An Egyptian bondmaid to Abraham. God heard her prayer. Thou, God, seest me. How about being a despised brother? A brother that your twin hated and swore he was going to get even with you because you cheated him out of some things. And you're coming back after having had a pretty hard life. You've had some successes, but you're coming back home. And you hear that he's coming to meet you with a bunch of his buddies. And you're afraid. Can anybody put themselves in shoes like that? You know? Being afraid, having somebody else coming against you. You're older now, you're weak and you're vulnerable. You're not on your own. You've got a whole household that you're concerned about, that you've got to protect. And you make all your due precautions and preparations, but then that night you're by yourself and you pray to God and you wrestle with God in prayer. And God tells you, you've got power with him. And the next day, you go to meet that brother with his entourage coming, and it's a beautiful love feast. He falls on your neck, and he kisses you and hugs you and cries over seeing you after being gone for so many years. Who am I talking about? Jacob. Jacob. Is God good, brethren? How much of the book of Acts did our brother Jacob have? How many of our blessed sayings from our Lord did Jacob have? (laughs) Zero. He knew enough that he knew about tithing. Because he promised when he went out, Lord, you bless me, I'll give you the tenth of what you give me. That's about all he knew. And God had power. God heard his prayer and delivered him. How about a meek man? You've heard our brother Jonathan talk often about the fact that he doesn't want this office. He never asked for it. He never sought it out. Well, he's following a good tradition. There was a man one time was given a mighty responsibility. He didn't want it. He tried to pass it off. 
Okay? But he, he faithfully discharged that duty. And time came when those people who he protected, he cared for, he prayed for, they said, who are you? You, 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 you take on too much. We're as good as you are. The meekest man in the earth, and they're wanting to gainsay him. Being threatened by presumptuous rebels. But God defended him. Who was that? Moses. Moses. Well, brethren, I can't. We, we've got to look at this one. Moses, look at uh, number 16. Number 16. I mean, we've already talked about the prayer he did to save the nation the first time, right? He's done it many times since. Verse, chapter 16, verse 1, Korah and the sons of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of uh, Pelath, the sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation for renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Can you think about how that must have hurt Moses? What that must have felt like to him? Knowing that their very lives had been in his hands many times and he had delivered them through his prayers to God. Look at verse 15. Here's Moses' prayer. Short prayer. Prayers don't need to be long, brethren. Short prayer. And Moses said unto... uh, Verse 15. And Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect not their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And then he comes down. To verse 31. After he's described, he says, okay, if these guys die the normal death that any other man does, anything you can attribute to nature, then fine. God's not spoken by me. But if God does a new thing and he opens up the ground so they come fall down alive straight into death, covered up by the earth, well, then you know the Lord's spoken by me. It came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appertained to Korah, and all their goods. They and all that appertaineth to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. You know, God can take a long time, like our brother Mark is, is an example of. But when he needs to, God can be that quick and that dramatic. Do you think our brother Moses was defended by the Lord? Okay, a few more examples here. How about a man, is anybody here ever busy? Do you ever have a lot of work to do and sometimes wonder, can I get it done? I don't have time to get it done. Well, there was a man just in, that, in your shoes. He had a great task given to him by the Lord, and he was having success, but time was running out. So what did he do? Did he despair? No. He just said, Lord, I need more time. I'm paraphrasing now, okay? I need more time. 
The Lord gave him more time in a rather startling fashion. Amen. He stopped the sun. Amen. Sun didn't go any further. For, who knows, a number of hours until the nation was revenged on their enemies. Who's that? Joshua. Joshua. Son, stand thou still in Agilon. That's all he prayed. <laughs> that we may be avenged of our enemies. He's praying for Lord's blessing on their activities. <laughs> the son stood still. The son stood still. And it says, And there was no day like that before or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Brethren, he can fight for your battles too. Amen. He can give you time. He can give you whatever you need to do. How about a woman? Ladies, here's another one for you. And again, this is another really strange circumstance that is not normal in our generation. Thanks be to God. But imagine having to be in a household where you're another wife. Your husband has two wives. You're the beloved wife, but you don't have any children. Okay? The other wife, oh, she has children like a rabbit. And she's always putting it back up into your face. <laughs> See? Look who's got the kids. And you go to the Lord in the sorrowness of your heart and pray. And God grants you one of those great five men to be your son. Who you turn around and give back to the Lord. And then you're granted with five more children after that. Who are we talking about here? Hannah. The mother of Samuel. Ladies, is there any one of you who would like to have a Samuel for a son? Is there any one of you who wouldn't love to have a Samuel for a son? That came by prayer. Prayer and dedication to the Lord. How about a man that's intimidated? He's following behind another great man who led the people ahead of him. And he's going to take over. And he doesn't know what to do. And one night God comes to him in a, in, in a dream. And he says, what do you want? Lord, I need wisdom. I need understanding. I don't know what to do. Help me. And God turns around and says, you know, that's a wonderful request. You could have asked for wealth. You could have asked for riches. You could have asked for the deliverance from all your enemies. And all you wanted was wisdom. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you wisdom like no man has ever had before. And I'm going to give you wealth. And I'm going to give you safety from your enemies. Who was that meek man who prayed? Solomon. You see, Solomon just didn't, wasn't just born with genes that, boom, oh, I'm a super genius. I know everything. No. He prayed. He prayed. And God granted him wisdom. How about being outnumbered in your professional sphere? You stand in, in an area that's very unpopular. And all those around you, all the other professionals in your area are against you. 
And those professionals have the ear of those in power. Okay? And you come before, you, you make sure that there's an assembly made of the entire nation to try to get some things straight about what is the truth. And miraculously, the Lord hears your prayer dramatically. And all the rest of those professionals are out of a job. Permanently. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Elijah. Elijah. And remember, it wasn't just the 400 prophets of Baal he faced. There were 450 prophets of the groves. 850 professional theologians with the official support of the government. He could care less. He knew what God said, the Lord Jehovah said, and that's what he pressed on the people. And that's what he prayed for. Think about his prayer. How long is it? Not very long. And when the time was come of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire fell from heaven. And an altar that had been built and had barrel after barrel of water poured on it so that the trench that had been dug around it was full. The sacrifice, the wood, the water, the dust, the stones of everything there was consumed by God. Oh, and by the way, he said, take the prophets of Baal, take them down to the book Kidron, and he dispatched them. He killed them there on the spot. And what's so important about the illustration of, of Elijah? I'm getting ahead of myself, but what's so important about Elijah? Our brother James points to him as a man subject to like passions as we were. What else did Elijah do in his prayer life? What led up to that incident? What had happened in Israel for three years? Drought. No rain. Why was there no rain? Elijah, at God's insistence, prayed, no more rain. Dried up. Right after this, what does he do? He goes up in the mountain. He's down in prayer. He tells his servant, go look out. What do you see? Oh, nothing yet. He prays some more. What do you see? Oh, I see what looks like a cloud the size of a man's fist coming out of the ocean. And then he takes off, and he sends word to Ahab, you better take off. You're not going to be able to go very far from the flood that's coming. Is that powerful, brethren? Is that effectual? Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. Elijah is no different from us, brethren. Grab a hold of that sometime. I'm no better, I'm no worse than Elijah. Go read about him. You talking about a melancholy? <laughs> he was a melancholy. He, he got into one troop super fit there of, oh, the Lord. What am I going to do, Lord? The queen's after me. I mean, after that great battle, then he's worried because the queen says, you know, 
Well, just like they are, that's what I'm going to have happen to you. You're going to get killed too. He was a man like us, brethren. He had his ups and downs. But look at the great things he did when he trusted in the Lord and prayed. Time is running away from me. How about trying to better that man? How about coming to Elijah when he's about to leave and saying, Well, what do you want of me? Replacement? Twice your spirit. (coughs) Twice. Man, you've asked a hard thing. But that same man got the prayer request answered. How do we know that? Because if you go over a few years later, in 2 Kings 13, we're talking about Elisha now. 2 Kings 13, it talks about the fact that Elisha died. Unlike Elijah, who got taken alive up into heaven, Elisha died. And they buried him. And sometime later, when a band of the, uh, somebody, I can't remember now, was coming into the land to attack, they were about to bury a man, but they saw this band coming and they feared, so they tossed him into this tomb, which happened to be Elisha's tomb. And when he hit the bones, Elijah, I mean, Elisha had already gone to the place where his bones were all that was left. When that dead man, that carcass hit those bones, he jumped right up to life. Elijah had raised someone from the dead during his ministry, but he never raised somebody from the dead when he was dead. That's power, brethren. You say, well, how, wow, what can that mean? Brethren, you can have a lasting impact. I look at that as your prayers can have a lasting impact long after you're gone. Long after you're gone. Terminal illnesses were healed. Right? And 15 years granted. To whom? Hezekiah. How about praying for victory? And you don't even walk into the battle. Or you're on your way to the battle with a brass band. And you get there and you have to spend three days hauling off all the spoils from a battle you never fought. Who was that? Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Oh, please go read that section, Second Chronicles chapter 20 sometime. It's beautiful. The prayer he offered, the faith those people displayed, and how God gloriously delivered. Brethren, you want to pray for our, we want to pray for our national defense. But you know, Abraham, Abram tanks, Apache helicopters, Star Wars technology, there's something better than that. How about, our, how about our enemies don't even think to invade us? How about the terrorist fumbles up and gets caught at the border so he never even makes it into the country? How about they want to attack us, but they're so greedy, like in the illustration of the prayer we're talking about, they decide to attack their next-door neighbor who's their ally instead and end up wiping themselves out. Mutual self-destruction. Brethren, that's defense. That's defense. How about another man who fell into trouble? Running from God. I mean, he fell into bad trouble. And when he was in bad trouble, God heard his prayer and delivered him. Know what I'm talking about there? Yeah. I don't know. Every time I think of Jonah, I think of whale puke. I think of the delicate aroma on the prophet of the intestinal juices of a whale. 
And that's good. That's where we put ourselves often, isn't it, brethren? Do we often put ourselves into trouble running from God? Even in trouble, God can hear our prayer and deliver us and use us to do his will. An aged widow was blessed to see and to handle Jesus Christ himself when he was brought to the temple, Anna. How about a a criminal who was suffering for his crimes and blessed with the Lord because of his prayer? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise, the thief on the cross. Can't get much more dire circumstances or a better answer than that, can you? And our brother Cornelius we could talk about in his prayer for understanding God, to know who he was and how mightily God answered that prayer. How about the promises, brethren? Let's move on. My time is almost gone. The promises of effectual prayer should motivate us to do it. Consider our text. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Do you believe scripture? Amen. That's a promise. That is a promise. It doesn't say the effectual, fervent prayer of an Israelite. It doesn't say the effectual, fervent prayer of an apostle. Of a minister. It says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. All you've got to do is be a righteous man. And in context, ladies, it's saying you too. A righteous person is what it's saying. Avails much. And the Bible is full of the things that we need to do, right? And if we're doing those things to show that we're righteous, God hears our prayer. Jesus taught us in Matthew 7, ask, right? Matthew chapter 7, look at what he tells us there in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock. And it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Do you believe the words of Jesus Christ? There it is. Ask. Seek. Knock. Come to the Lord. And notice the further promise and encouragement he gives us. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread... Will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, relatively speaking, if we being evil human beings, evil fathers, who love our children and want to do good things for them, shall know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Ask, brethren, come to the Lord with your petitions, and he will hear and answer. Turn over to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. 
This is why knowing your Bibles and reading every part of it, you can find so many things, so many precious promises and blessings in it. Exodus chapter 22, God will hear you no matter what your age or what your economic status is. God doesn't care about those things. All he cares about is you're coming to him. So read Exodus 22 starting at verse 22. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. That's pretty low, right? That's pretty defenseless. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry it all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I shall kill, will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall be widows, and your children shall be fatherless. Now, we know to study the scripture in context. This is teaching us about mercy and charity, right? But notice in the context, part of what Moses assumes and Moses tells us is the fact that God Hears the cry of widows and fatherless children. You are not too small. You are not too inconsequential for God to hear. And if you continue on in this same chapter, if we look at verse 25, If thou lend money to any of thy people that is poor by thee, Thou shalt not be to him as a, us- a usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. If thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge, he's so poor, the clothes on his back, his, his coat is all that he can offer for his, for, as a down payment that he'll make good what he's borrowing from you. Thou shalt deliver it unto him by that the sun goeth down. You give it back to him so he can be warm in the night. For that is his covering only. It is his raiment for his skin. Wherein shall he sleep? And it shall come to pass when he crieth unto me. I will hear, for I am gracious. Lesson is, obviously, we should be gracious as well. But he uses as illustration a poor man crying in his poverty, in his need to the Lord. And the Lord being gracious in hearing that call. We've talked about the fact that prayer can preserve nations. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. Passage we know well. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven. David often spoke of prayer and of God hearing prayer. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. After he's talked about one of the most unbelievable blessings that God can grant a man. And that God wants to give us. And that we've talked about before. And that's the fact that we can know God personally ourselves and know the fullness of God and his love for us. We can know those things. Paul just prayed for that, that we would have that. And then he says at the end of that, 
over in Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that ye ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. God can do things that even look impossible. How can I be filled to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of God? That almost sounds so presumptuous, doesn't it, brethren, to even ask that. But Paul prayed that for us, for every member of the church of Ephesus, and by implication, every member of any church that's ever existed. And God can do above all that we ask or think. The very verse that our brother Eric read this morning talks about that, right? Ask of me and I will show you things that you don't even know. You've never even seen. You can't even comprehend. These are the promises that we have, brethren, from God. And I say again, what is it that holds us back from claiming them? It's not him. It's not God. It's us. It's us not taking him seriously. It's us not reaching out and claiming the promises and coming to him in prayer. Things which thou knowest not, God can show us and do for us. Finally, the objects. What should we pray for? What is it that we should pray for? And you can quibble. I can quibble with myself about the order here of what I'm going to mention. But I'm going to start from least important and go to more important things. Okay? Pray for our government. Pray for the peace of our country. For us to have freedom, rest, protection in this country. God told Israel through Jeremiah, pray for the peace of Babylon. And you will be blessed in their peace. And you know, even, even natural rulers like Darius, when he heard that the Jews were doing that, hey, he liked that. He appreciated that. Pray for our daily bread. Now, you know, that's almost kind of redundant or or silly because what was David's testimony? That he'd never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. So God's promised to always give us bread. But what do we do when we're praying for that? We're coming back to God to remind ourselves as much as anything that we're dependent on you, God. We're trusting in you, Lord. For my sustenance. We're acknowledging his reign and dominion over us by asking for what we need. You know, God feeds ravens when they cry and young lions. How much more those who he's given eternal spirits to who will live with him forever. Pray for wisdom. James 1, 5. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not. Wisdom. You know, one of the requirements for understanding and wisdom is that we ask for it. Proverbs chapter 2. Very first verses there. You know, effectual prayer includes reminding God to be liberal in giving it. Right? If you lack wisdom, ask of God who giveth liberally. Brethren, when you pray, don't be niggardly. Brother Michael, I love your requests. You have specific ones, 
And you don't care if it's out of, out of reach for what most people would think. It's something you need. It's something you've thought about. And you ask for it. And he gets it. And he gives glory to God when he gets it, right? Brethren, that's how we, that's what God wants. God wants, you don't want to know a secret, brethren. What's the whole secret to prayer? Making God your all in all. Seeking him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. In prayer, you're coming and asking for things. When he gives you those things, you're coming back to thank him for them. And again, think about it naturally, men, women. When you do good things for your children, your friends, whoever, and they come back and they're so thankful that you thought about them, that you did something for them. And, and, and they're so grateful. And they want to tell other people about what a good man, good woman you are. That you've done these things for them. What does that do to you? Doesn't your heart just, in a good way I'm talking about now, doesn't it just swell up? Doesn't it just feel so warm and so good because of that reaction? God gives us those feelings, brethren, because they mirror His. What else should we pray for? Our families. Our children. Remember righteous Job? What did he do? Every day that he knew his children were having a party, a birthday party, in this case it looks like, what did he do? In case they have said something wrong, something foolish, and they've sinned, I'm going to go offer up sacrifices and pray for them. And you know, this comes to, this brings us to an interesting question. What should I pray? Should, should I pray for my children's conversion? Well, but I don't know if they're regenerate. Should I pray for regeneration? Should I pray that they'll be elected of God? Well, brethren, where has it told us not to do that? True, God makes choices. God makes choices. But God hasn't told us not to do that. And you know what? I like to go back to David. What did David told? What did God told David? About that first child of his and Bathsheba's. It's going to die. What did David do? Fatalistically sit back and say, The Lord's will be done. Let's get on with life. He fasted and he prayed. While that child was sick. Until the day he found out it had died. Then, cleaned himself up. Sat down to meet. And started to go about normal life again. And his servants were amazed at that. And what did he tell them? Hey, I didn't know whether God would be gracious to me and grant an exemption for that child. Now I know he hasn't been. Now I know that I'll have to go see him where he is now. Brethren, you don't know what whom God has chosen to be his children. There's nothing wrong in praying for it. As in everything, as long as you are submissive to his will and you're ready for the Lord to say, no, that's not my child. No, I'm not going to bless that particular request. As long as you've got that attitude, go pray for him. I can tell you about people, all of us, different members have prayed for, that we didn't know where they were, what they were doing, and they are here with us today, serving the Lord with their whole heart. Even when times look pretty dark. Right, brother? In some lives, God hears prayer. How do you know that God's not asking you? He's not sending that request in your heart to pray for him in fulfillment of his will. Right. <laughs> Deliverance. 
from the devil's wiles. Brethren, if you go over to Ephesians chapter 6 and you see that armor that God gives us there, Paul in metaphor talks about the armor of God, putting it on. What is the one offensive weapon we have? Prayer. All the rest of the armor is just that. It's armor. It's defense. It's protection from. The way we can be offensive against the devil is to pray. What happened when Jesus met him with scripture? Three times. He ran. He fled. We need to pray that God would deliver us from his wiles. You know, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 that the devil walks about as a lion seeking whom he may devour. And we're to be vigilant. What better way to be vigilant than to be in prayer? After all, in his last moments, what did Jesus Christ want his disciples therefore, To be vigilant with him in prayer. As he was going to the cross. What else should we pray for? What are the other objects? Evangelism, the spread of God's word. Paul prayed, or he asked for prayer of the Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, 19 through 20, for ability and boldness as he preached, right? That I might know how to open my mouth. He then later on asked the Colossians in Colossians 4. That there would be open doors of opportunity that he could preach the gospel. Brethren, our, our, our brother Jonathan, with the great gifts he has, we ought to be praying that God would open up more doors of opportunity to him. To brother Jim. To brother Lao Sing Fu. To brother Dolph. To any other ministers that are out there. That God would bring more ministers. And that God would open up opportunities for them to speak the word. That's evangelism. That's how things get accomplished. Not writing tracts, but praying. Our brother Matthew has done a wonderful job of working hard on that website. But you know what? There's been a lot of prayers for that too. And that's why it's successful. Because we pray for it. I know I've talked to my brother and he prays about his efforts on it. He wants his efforts. He knows how weak he is. And he wants his efforts, his weak and feeble efforts, to be multiplied. Brother Jonathan, anyone who's talked to him, the same way with his messages, with the outlines he does. He gives a good job, and we will all marvel at it. But he understands that's only at the beck and call of the Lord to bless. Prayer is what guarantees these means, that they'll be effective. We should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Over in Psalm 22, 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, David directs. Now somebody tell me, somebody help me out. Because I, I, I watched this morning, I watched somebody on TV. And, and they were telling me that that's, that's those folks over in Israel. Is that true? No. Who is Jerusalem? The church of God. Amen. The church of Jesus Christ. That is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is right here. Jerusalem is in Howell, Michigan. Jerusalem is in Athens, Georgia. It's in Penang, Malaysia. And it's in thousands, hopefully millions of places around this world. We should pray for the peace of God's people. For his churches, wherever they be. That God would bless them, prosper them. David prayed that Zion's walls might be built in Psalm 51. So should we. That the defenses of each of these congregations would be strong to protect us in these last days. Coming towards the end now. What's one of the things that God assumed, that Jesus Christ himself assumed, that God would give us among those good things that we pray for? It's the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 11. 
Brethren, we should pray that God would give us a spirit. That's the only way we will be effective in prayer. That's the only way we'll be righteous to be heard in prayer. Have the spirit in our lives that he would help us to search us out and know what we ought to do. What was that perfect, that gift that Jesus promised the woman at the well? That water that flowed out of her belly? The spirit. We should pray for that. And that leads to my last point. We should pray that God would search our lives for sin. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Last two verses. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. That needs to be our prayer, brethren. God would search our hearts. Know our hearts. Try us to know our thoughts. Wherever he finds wickedness in there, that he would help us to see it for what it is. The filthy, vile thing that it is. So we would throw it out. Get rid of it. Lead us in the way everlasting. Psalm 26 verse 2 talks about examine and prove me, Lord. That's what we need to pray for, God, before the Lord. That he would prove our hearts. That we might be pure, righteous before him. So that then we could put our hearts and our minds into what we're praying for. And we would be effectual in prayer to God. I apologize for the heat of the room this day. I apologize for going long. But I don't apologize for presenting to you the word of God this day. And the challenge is before all of us. What are we going to do with it? Brethren, we've heard it, some of us, for the umpteenth time. What are we going to do with it? Remember, it is the man who does the will of God. It's the woman who applies it to her heart. That is blessed in the doing. Let us be doers of our precious Lord's word. And let us make this a priority in our life. Tonight, I'm looking forward to hearing from our ten young brethren. Who will present to us. How, if you were challenged this morning. If you were able to see the need for effectual prayer. If one or two maybe of those examples of prayer grabbed your heart. And made you think, I want to be like that. I'm not that way, but I want to be effective in prayer. Like that man, like that woman. If these promises grip you as something that you can wrap your hands around daily. If you understand the importance, these things that we need to be praying for, that ought to be part of our prayers every day. Come back tonight and the young men will show you how to do that. They'll show you what you can do to be effective in prayer. May God bless their efforts. May God bless the efforts this day. And may God bless us most importantly to be doers of his word.